Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Williams shotgun snap, straight drop, four-man rush. They pick it up, looking deep, steps up in the pocket. Going to wing it for the end zone for Mims. He comes back for it. He caught it! He caught it! Isn't it in? No signal yet! Oklahoma wins the Red River rivalry in dramatic fashion, shall we say. If you didn't think it could get any better than the four-overtime victory in 2020, just wait till 2021. Oklahoma, 28-7. to They sooner trailed in this game in the first quarter. Everybody wrote them off except for themselves. They battle back. Caleb Williams replaces Spencer Rattler, 55 to 48. The Sooners score the go-ahead winning touchdown, three seconds left on the clock. Uh, you can't script it any better. You can't write it up any better. You can't imagine it any better. This was the dramatic. When you when you talk about a team winning in dramatic fashion, this is exactly what you're talking about. Everything you want drama related is in this game. You got the two turnovers by Spencer Rattler. You got the second year in a row, Oklahoma star quarterback is benched. You got the true freshman coming in. Not a redshirt freshman, a true freshman who, by the way, didn't even get to play his senior year of high school football. Comes off the bench, takes over this team and commands their respect and leads the Sooners back to victory. And if that's not enough drama for you, you got Caleb Kelly. Of all people, I mean, good for you, Caleb Kelly. You got Caleb Kelly forcing the the, uh, the strip on the kickoff return that set up Kennedy Brooks to tie the game. It's just, it's just everything was there. Everything was there. Not only making this one of the, if not the, best Red River rivalry games ever, but really one of the best Oklahoma football games ever. There there have been some good games. And you look back on, on games uh, throughout your lifetime or you read about them, whether you attended them or whether you saw them on TV, and you think, you know, those, those games just, they stand out, right? And, and we talked about Thursday night in the preview that this is the setting, this is the atmosphere where legends are born. I mean, 20 years ago, Roy Williams on the Superman play. Everybody talks about Roy Williams. Not a lot of people talk about Teddy Lehman. He's the guy who scored on that play. But Roy Williams became Superman 20 years ago in this game. And I think it's only fitting that another kid, another Sooner, who goes by the nickname Superman, has his big shining moment in this game as well. So now you you look at the fallout and you have to ask yourself, where does Lincoln Riley go from here? Where does this program go from here? Well, apparently they're going up. Because if you look at the latest AP poll, Oklahoma's number four now in the AP poll. The coaches think highly of the Sooners, number three in the coaches poll. You got Georgia, the unanimous number one in the AP. You got Iowa, number two, Cincinnati, number three, Oklahoma, four, and then Alabama rounding out your top five in the AP. Cincinnati should bother a lot of people. They bother me. Not that they don't deserve to be there. Um, you know, they got the win. They've won the games that they needed to win. And we said this from the very beginning of the season that Cincinnati beats Notre Dame. They're probably going undefeated. Well, with that said, at number three, I don't see Cincinnati getting passed up. 
now that Alabama's lost, I, I don't see – I don't see any way an undefeated Cincinnati team doesn't make the playoffs this year. Now, they're going to make the playoffs at the four seed. The way this shakes out right now, your top four, Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma, Cincinnati is going to be the four seed. So Cincinnati would play Georgia in that in that situation, in that scenario. Oklahoma would play Iowa. Even though the Sooners are ranked four right now, I promise you in the playoff rankings, they're not going to put an undefeated non-power five school over an undefeated power five school. It's just not going to happen. But here, here's where everything just on the surface, everything looks really good for Oklahoma. You're six and zero. Oh, you got TCU coming to Norman. You got Kansas coming after that. So eight and zero oh is kind of, kind of just sitting where you want to be as you regroup and you, you gather for Bedlam, which is going to be a, a big game next month. So on the surface, everything's good. Everything's good because we know Lincoln Riley. We know this team. They just get better and better and better as the season moves forward. And now you got news that Marcus Major is going to be eligible to play. So your running back group has depth that you needed desperately. On the surface, it all looks good. But what you got to look at now is what's happening beneath the surface. What's going on? What's being said in that quarterback room? What's being said in the locker room? Lincoln Riley has a lot of decisions to make. And so while things may look good and smooth on top, under that surface, man, it's going to be crazy over the next few weeks to see how all this shakes out and what's happening. Speaking of shaking out and happening, let's step outside of the Oklahoma-Texas game for just a second. Talk about Tuesday because Gabriel Brownlow Dindy is going to make making his commitment on Tuesday. Now, you think Oklahoma's sitting pretty good with him, and and I, I don't think there's any reason to – to not continue to have that idea about Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, but keep in mind, he didn't make any, as far as I'm aware, he, he didn't make any visits over the weekend. He had his official to Oklahoma. He had his official to A&M. Then there was the big win in Dallas. A&M got a big win as well. Beating Alabama in College Station. I don't, I, I really feel like his decision's made up. But man, if he was kind of, if you're a recruit, right? Think about it. You're you're one of the top defensive tackles in the country, and you're you're kind of teetering between Oklahoma and Alabama. Let's just take our our crimson bias aside and put it over here in the corner, and just think about this logically. That Alabama win carries more weight nationally than Oklahoma's win over Texas. That's just truth. Now, personally, I love the win over Texas. Personally, it's one of the most satisfying wins ever for me because you didn't, I saw it on Twitter and and I love what I, what I read. Oklahoma didn't just hurt Texas. They, they didn't just beat Texas. They made it hurt. And when you're talking about your arch rival, those are the type of wins that you really want to have, but that's all on a personal level. On a national level, you're a top five recruit. You're one of the top defensive defensive tackles in the nation. Which win actually carries more weight? It's going to be Alabama. It's going to be Texas A&M taking Alabama down. Again, I think his decision is already made. But if it's not, the next 48 hours is going to be kind of kind of tense, tenseful because maybe suspenseful is a better word. Because there's a lot going on in the 18-year-old kid's mind as he gets ready to pick 
which program is best prepared to put him at the next level into the NFL. So ton of stuff going on right now. So we're going to jump into true or false because that's the segment where Rich gets to jump in and hang in here with us for just a few minutes. And then I'll be taking it the rest of the way for the offensive and defensive breakdowns. But uh, let's talk more Oklahoma, Texas, as we hit up true or false. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, all right, all right. It's probably not what Matthew McConaughey was saying in terms of how Texas was playing on the field in the second half, needless to say. Matt, we're going to jump into the true or false segment as you are once again in the hot seat. And I really wanted to focus on the game this week retrospectively, knowing that a lot has transpired and a lot of opinions and knee-jerk reactions are going to be formed. Without any further ado, though, and without really any lead-up, I'm just going to jump in to question number one. A lot of the focus is going to center on the quarterback position moving forward for the Oklahoma Sooners as Spencer Rattler is benched for Caleb Williams there in the second half. Of course, Spencer Rattler makes an appearance on a two-point conversion. But what we're looking at is maybe, quite possibly, a changing of the guard. When asked about it, this is my first question for you, Matt. When asked about it, Lincoln Riley said he would go back and evaluate the Texas film and treat it like any other position in which he intends to let Rattler and Williams compete for the starting job against TCU. True or false, that's only coach speak. Well, this is definitely true. I I don't know if it's true in the sense that it's only coach speak, but it's definitely coach speak. And this is... This is where Lincoln Riley earns his money. I mean, everybody, uh, it's a glamorous job. He's a young guy. He's an energetic guy. Everybody loves Lincoln Riley, okay? But this is where he really has to earn his keep. And and I don't I don't envy the decision that he has to make. Yeah, I, I do think that there's, there's going to be a competition between Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams. And I think they're both going to play against TCU on Saturday. And I really feel like whoever starts against TCU, that's going to say a whole lot. Whoever comes out there first with the offense. But but here's what you have to, again, what I said at the beginning of this podcast is on the surface, everything looks smooth, but you got to look at what's beneath the surface. And what's beneath the surface is very choppy and, and very, um, very confusing and competitive because there's not a single person who watched that game, whether they're, they're watching from the sidelines as a player, watching from the sidelines as a coach, watching from the stands as a fan, or watching it on television. Not a single person who watched that game can deny the fact that this team played differently when Caleb Williams came in. 
their 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 momentum picked up. Their and by that their energy, their the, just the even their nastiness. Okay, their attitudes. Everything changed when Caleb Williams came in the game. Everything, and, and you and things that hadn't worked all season long suddenly begin to work, which is amazing to me to to think about it. They, we're, everyone's going to be talking about a couple plays from this game for a long time. But that catch that Marvin Mims made, that acrobatic catch, are you kidding me? But how how does the vertical passing game suddenly work with Caleb Williams in, in that quarterback when it hasn't worked through five games with Spencer Rattler? So you gotta you got to look at all of these things, okay, all of these factors. And, and I said it in the postgame recap, uh, this is exactly what I said, that I have been hesitant. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know exactly how my how I voice my opinion on this matter. I've been hesitant to say that Spencer Rattler should be benched permanently for Caleb Williams. I've been hesitant to say that Caleb Williams is a better op- uh, option for this offense than Spencer Rattler. And And I feel like for five weeks, right, I've had legitimate reason to say those things. And I've used that Caleb Williams was only 50% passing against Western Carolina. I used the the botch snap against against Kansas State. Th- those are all things. I, the fact that he's a, a true freshman, the fact that he didn't get to play his senior year of high school. I, I've used all of that to try to argue that Spencer Rattler is the better option between these two quarterbacks. But I don't think you, I can argue that anymore. Because the product is on the field, and and the you know the the can of worms has been opened, the toothpaste is squeezed out of the toothpaste tube. You know what I'm saying? You can't put it all back. It's out there. Everybody's seen it. Everybody saw this team rally around Caleb Williams. I was watching the game with my wife, and I and I exactly what I said to her was I haven't seen a team on both sides of the ball rally around a quarterback like this in Norman since Baker Mayfield was on the sidelines. And we talked about the the students chanting, we want Caleb at the West Virginia game. And one of the things that I said was that in, in that moment, that clearly, clearly Caleb Williams is more popular amongst the student body than Spencer Rattler is. But now, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think, I think the evidence is there. Again, it's all out there. J- just look at it. All you got to do is open your eyes and look at it. Caleb Williams is more popular amongst his teammates than Spencer Rattler is. And these are all things that are undeniable. And if you remove, the only thing Spencer Rattler had going for him was he was the best option. He was the best chance to win this game. He was the best chance to get into the playoffs. Spencer Rattler was the best chance. He was the Heisman frontrunner. You can't argue any of that anymore. Because they were down 28-7. to Caleb Williams, the very first touch he gets in this game is a 66-yard touchdown that he ran, by the way. Didn't even throw it. I'm I, I'm just going to guess here, okay? So someone can, because you guys are really good at doing this, someone go back and actually fact check this and let me know. But just going off my memory of what I saw in the game, and I watched all of it, I'm willing to bet there were, I, I said, in thir- on Thursday night that Oklahoma would have four offensive plays of 30 yards or more. Clearly, they, they exceeded that. But I think there were more big plays in this game, in this one game, 
there are more big plays. And that's defined a big play as being, what, 30 yards plus? There are more big plays in this game than you saw in the entire first five games of the season. If, it, if that's not true, it certainly felt that way. And that's because of Caleb Williams. And so now if you're Lincoln Riley, you've got this incredible decision you got to make. And kudos to Lincoln Riley, because I think there's a lot of coaches that would have just said in that post game at some point, yep, Caleb's our guy now. I mean, he he won the game, different team with him. Clearly, he's the guy. I, I saw some things about, yeah, and I, I didn't see this with my own eyes, so I can't really talk to it, but there were some things on social media about how Spencer Rattler kind of didn't really respond well to this. And by the way, how crazy is it two years in a row against Texas he gets benched? All that said, the best chance to win now, how can you make an argument for anybody other than Caleb Williams? The best chance to make this offense flow, how can you make an argument for anybody other than Caleb Williams? The script has flipped, and and it all goes back to this. 90,000 people in the Cotton Bowl saw it, and how many millions watching on TV saw it? If you go back to, if you're Lincoln Riley and you go back to Spencer Rattler and this offense stutters and peters out, I'm not saying it's going to be a coach killer, but it's the first legitimate opportunity that Lincoln Riley has had to be heavily criticized. Every coach is criticized. I mean, come on, we, we criticize Lincoln Riley for his smoked brisket, okay? Every coach is criticized. But this would be the actual first time he, should legitimately be criticized. And so, yeah, he, he's got to play it because I, I think you, you weigh the options here, okay? The, the, whichever way you go with this quarterback situation moving forward, whichever way you go with it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave a mark, okay? It's going to leave a mark on your team one way or the other. The question is, which leaves the biggest mark? So let's say Lincoln Riley goes with Caleb Williams, and Caleb Williams is the new starting quarterback. Here's the mark that that's going to leave on the team. Spencer Rattler, most likely in the transfer portal. That's 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 the mark. I, I would be willing to say it's probably a guarantee he's in the transfer portal, which is okay. All right? It's okay. That's the way it goes. When we, when we went into the transfer portal era, we knew this kind of stuff was happening. But that's the mark, okay? That's what's going to happen. But if you go back to Spencer Rattler, do you really want to risk at this point do you want to risk Caleb Williams going in the transfer portal? The guy's the hero. You don't, you don't, you don't throw the hero under the bus. He literally saved the day, and in doing so, he saved the season. This is a team that's ranked fourth nationally, not because of Spencer Rattler. They're ranked fourth nationally because of Caleb Williams. So do you do you throw the hero under the bus? No way. No way. If if you're if you're legitimately thinking about this and you have the chance to to lose one of these quarterbacks and keep one of these quarterbacks, a hundred percent the guy you keep in this situation is Caleb Williams. But let's take it another step further. Because I talked about how the team rallied to Caleb Williams. Lincoln Riley, I mean, he's got to walk a tightrope here. He makes the wrong decision. He could lose his team. 
And and that goes into how these guys play on Saturday. If he makes the TCU game an audition, that scares me as a fan. Definitely would scare me as a person who handicaps the game. Because the there's a the team knows who they want. And so they're going to play for the guy that they want. So that means there could be some wasted possessions. There could be some wasted opportunities out there. If the guy that they want is under center, then they're, they're going to, this offense is going to hump. The guy that they don't want, there's going to be some problems. And TCU is just that team that if you mess around, you just mess around, they're going to make it hurt, and they're going to be dangerous. So, yeah, I think it's true. I didn't mean to talk 10 minutes about the first question, but I definitely think it's true. And then from there, where, where do you go? I mean, I guess we'll find out Saturday, but it's definitely going to be an interesting week of practice in Norman. The second question then centers on the effect that Caleb Williams had on the game. Uh, a lot of times when we look at a quarterback, it can't be understated how much their mobility and their their willingness to tuck the ball and run can affect a game such as this one. So, so true or false, it's understated right now, but the mobility of Caleb Williams at the quarterback position in the second half was the key to Kennedy Brooks running wild. No, that, that one's going to be false. The, the key to Kennedy Brooks going crazy was the vertical passing game. Now, Caleb Williams still played a role in that. I mean, his hitting you know guys downfield, is what softened up that Texas defense. Now, you got to remember, Rich, I, I said going into this game, one of my bold predictions was that Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray would combine for over 200 all-purpose yards. Now, Kennedy Brooks did that all on his own. So we were kind of already expecting a, a big day from Oklahoma's running backs, but the ability for the Sooners to go vertical in the passing game, um, now they didn't... If Spencer Rattler can roll the pocket, okay? Um, we saw that. Here's the difference. When Spencer Rattler was rolls the pocket, he's looking sh- short level, mid-level, deep. That's where his eyes are going. So he's rolling the pocket. He's looking, who's close to me right now that I can throw the ball to? No one's there mid-level, 10 to 15-yard range. Who's there? And then the downfield option is, is that's the, the last, the last, you know, Last-ditch effort for Spencer Rattler. Here's the problem with that is if you're going to – you're probably going to find somebody close or mid-level before you can get all the way downfield. So when you're looking close, mid, then down the field, you're never going to throw down the field because close and mid are going to open up first. What Caleb Williams was doing was moving the pocket, using his athleticism to, to buy the time – but his vision was downfield first, understanding that it takes time for those plays to develop. But he's looking downfield, and, and you're watching him scramble, and I'm screaming to him. I'm screaming. You know, I'm, I'm pointing out the guy who's short. I'm pointing out the guy who's mid-range. I'm saying, throw it to that guy because he's open. But he's waiting for things to develop downfield, and there's Marvin Mims and, and so forth. And so so I, I, I see what you're saying, in, particularly in the, the escapability but Spencer Rattler's mobile. Spencer Rattler moved the pocket. Okay, he did. It's just the the way they looked visually downfield is what made the difference. And then when you have safeties who have to play back now, and, and Marvin Mims was a big, big key to this running game, 
because what he was able to, to do by getting downfield, by going vertical, now your safeties have to think about the vertical passing game. Now your linebackers, they can't crash in because the safeties are playing back, right? So if the safeties are playing back, then your linebackers can't, their first step can't be forward. It's got to be either to hold or to step back and, and cover middle range passing lanes. They're going right across the, their, their faces. All of that opens up bigger running lanes for Kennedy Brooks. And so I, I think that played a, a much more significant role in Kennedy Brooks getting 200 yards on Saturday than, than the 66-yard touchdown run by Caleb Williams. And I'm, I, look, I'm a big Caleb Williams fan, okay? You heard me answer the first question. But that 66-yard touchdown run was a fluke, okay? Let's just let's call it what it was. It was a fluke. Texas sold out to stop the one-yard gain on fourth down. They sold out for it. They busted the play, but Caleb Williams was able to step outside and found the hole to the outside to his left. And once he did, because Texas was sold in out on stopping this one-yard gain, there was no one there to, for Caleb Williams. There was no he he was wide open to the end zone. So that play actually had very little to do with the schematics and game planning. It was a huge momentum play for the Sooners, and it's going to be probably at this point the defining moment of Caleb Williams' career. But the the truth is, when you talk about how did Kennedy Brooks break loose for 200 plus yards, Marvin Mims had a lot more to do with that than the legs of Caleb Williams. Not downplaying Caleb Williams' significance because, you know, he, the guy had to throw the ball. But it was his arm and not his legs that freed up Kennedy Brooks to go crazy. Number three, Matt, we look at a completely different team, or so it would appear in the second half by comparison to the first half, and that's not just the offense, that's also the defense. In the second half, the Sooner defense allowed a mere 10 points while holding one of the best running backs in the country and certainly one of the better ones here in the Big 12 Conference, Bijan Robinson, to 35 rushing yards. True or false, breathing a new life into this team. It's a team that fans once again believe is capable of winning a national championship, and we're not talking about the future, we're talking about now. No, I, I definitely think this one is true, and I think you look at the rankings, and that that proves the validity of this. You know, Oklahoma's number four in the AP, number three in the coaches. Uh, we're still a few weeks away from the first playoff poll actually coming out, and then everyone's going to forget about the coaches and the AP poll, and they're just going to focus on the playoff poll. But I, I think the fact that you've got a team like Iowa, if you know, you've got a team like Cincinnati, and then there's Oklahoma. So you, you've got two, quote, blue bloods between Georgia and Oklahoma – uh, and at one and four, and then sandwiched in are two teams that really aren't big on the college football landscape. I I'm not sold on the fact that Iowa's still going to make it to the distance line, distant, you know, to the finish line. They're not going to go the distance and make it to the finish line. I'm not sold on Iowa yet. They're a good team, definitely way better than I I ever expected them to be. But I just I don't I I'm not I just can't buy in at this point to them being a playoff team. That said, they're really good, particularly with what they do defensively. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's in great position. And that's what makes this decision that Lincoln Riley has to make regarding the quarterbacks so much more significant. 
Because if this is a two-loss team, let, let's say this is Texas, okay? Uh, par- pardon me for, for, <laughs> for doing this, but let, let's say this is Texas and not Oklahoma, and you've got a quarterback controversy. It's, it's not as big of a deal if you've got two losses. Texas, yeah, they're, they're still in the, in the Big 12 championship hunt. This game against Oklahoma State next week is monumental for both programs. But they're still in the hunt. Nationally, though, there's no playoff aspirations for Texas. There, there's, no, there's no chance of the playoff for Texas. This isn't a year, I think, where a two-loss team gets in, particularly a two-loss team from the Big 12. So, so that's a whole different situation if, if you're a two-loss team. But if you're an undefeated team, ranked number four nationally, and now midway through the season, you've got to figure out who your starting quarterback is, not because of injury, but because of performance. Big, big deal here for Lincoln Riley. And so, we're, we're, I mean, everything's going to come back to this. But is Oklahoma a playoff contender? Absolutely. Can Oklahoma win the national championship? I, I haven't seen anything to this point that would make me think otherwise. I, I think at 6-0, and you can put to bed the argument that we talked about last week. When they play like this next week, they're going to lose. I mean, we've been saying that for how many weeks now? And all they do is win. What did championship caliber teams do? They win. They find a way to win. They're down 28 to 7, yet they found a way to win. So you're who are you going to count this team out against? Uh, you, you, would you count them out against Cincinnati? Absolutely not. Would you count them out against Iowa? Absolutely not. I, I think it's clear at this point, Georgia's the best team in the country. I'd said Georgia and Alabama are interchangeable for a long time now. Georgia's the best team in the country. But still, I wouldn't count Oklahoma out. I don't think there's anybody that they, that from what they have produced this season, their only dominating win was over Western Carolina. So that didn't really count because it was Western Carolina. But they have found a way to win over and over and over again, even when the odds are stacked against them. Even when they're down 28-7, to 7, I, I think the ESPN – uh, their their game predictor at that point, 28-7, had Oklahoma like at a 9% chance of winning the game. Everybody counts you out to come back and win. So, yeah, that, that sounds definitely sounds like a, like a playoff team to me, and it sounds like a team that I would want to go toe-to-toe with for a national championship. Number four, Matt, when we look at some of these individual plays that transpired, everyone is extremely familiar with the acrobatic interception that DJ Graham had earlier in the season. And while it was an incredible play, people sit on different sides of the field as to whether he should have caught that or simply batted the ball down. We're not here to debate that. What I want to look at is, yes, DJ Graham had an acrobatic interception, possibly the best in in the history of college football, but true or false, Marvin Mims 52 yard touchdown grab is the catch of the year. Well, it's definitely the catch of the year in my book. So I'll, I'll say that true for me personally, I, on a national level, I, there's, there's 118 college football programs playing on the, on the division one level. But when you count FBS and FCS, I've, I'm pretty sure there's some spectacular catches that I can think of that I've already seen this season that we'll continue to see. Will this game, 
I think you look at the magnitude of the game, right? How much will the game affect the the publicity towards this catch? Because it's one thing if he makes this catch against Kansas, everyone's talking about, oh yeah, that's a great catch, you know, made against the Kansas Jayhawks. But when you're talking about the circumstance, right, and then the magnitude of the game, everything gets amplified. So, yeah, it's a sports center top 10 play. It's going to be uh, in mentioned conversation for an SB award. And, and that's because of three factors, okay? The first factor is the circumstance of the game. That touchdown set up the strip uh, from Caleb, William, Caleb Kelly on the ensuing kickoff that ultimately tied the game, okay? So that helped make a 14-point swing. So the circumstance plays into it. And then... There's the magnitude of the game. National television, televised broadcast, Oklahoma, Texas. It's, it's a bowl game in the middle of the season. So you got all these extra eyeballs. College game day's there. So ESPN has a, has a more of a vested interest in, than they had previously uh, for OU Texas games. When, I mean, it's OU Texas is always going to have national media attention. But when ESPN, when college football game day is there, it's everything's amplified. So, You've got the the game situation. You got the the magnitude of the game, and then you got the catch, which was just a fantastically phenomenal catch. And you got to think of the, all the things that Marvin Mims had to do to make that catch. And let's while we're doing this, let's not undersell the throw that Caleb Williams made. Don't don't shortchange Caleb Williams because he put that ball in a spot where Marvin Mims had a chance to make this play. And he did it while scrambling, running, just amazing throw. But we're talking about the catch. So let's, let's talk about what he had to do. He had to find the ball. He had to, then you have the body contortion to put his body in position to make this catch and stay in bounds, which, by the way, not easy to do. Then he gets his foot in bounds by a shoestring. Like a shoestring, guys. He's in bounds by a shoestring. Makes the catch in the end zone. And then he has to, a lot of people don't realize, he has to complete that catch. So when you're falling down, you complete the catch by going to the ground and controlling the ball. Think about Mike Woods. Mike Woods had a chance to make a catch. There wouldn't have been a touchdown, but again, he had a chance for a phenomenal catch, but he didn't complete the catch because as as he he's inbounds, he has possession of the ball, but as he goes to the ground, the, the ground separates Michael Woods from the ball, and so he did not, that's, that's called not completing the catch. So Marvin Mims had all this going on to make that play possible. So yeah, for me personally, catch of the year. I think it's going to be in conversation nationally for catch of the year. Definitely one of the best plays uh, on, on the college football scene over the weekend for sure. Last but certainly not least, Spencer Rattler came into the season as the Heisman favorite. The capability is there for him to compete at a high level. Things simply haven't gone his way. I don't know if you want to chalk that up to a sophomore slump. I don't know if you want to chalk that up to having a bit of a mental block. I don't know if you want to chalk it up to the offense just not working in his favor, largely because of the struggles we've mentioned on previous episodes about this offensive line 
and the inability of the the running game to gain consistent big chunks of yardage. When we look at Spencer Rattler, though, and the trajectory moving forward, true or false, it's safe to say that he's out of the Heisman conversation after being benched in favor of Caleb Williams against a ranked Texas Longhorns program. Well, unfortunately for Spencer Rattler, this one's true. Uh, yeah, even even if Spencer Rattler is, is able to quote win this quarterback competition, then he's done. I mean, as far as the Heisman Trophy goes, he's done. Be, because there's you, you got what Matt Corral's doing at at um, at Mississippi, uh, the, and he had a huge monster game against Arkansas on Saturday. You've got the running back. I'm blanking on his name. The running back from Michigan State. I mean, there's just there's other players. Uh, even B. John Robinson in the Big 12 is probably a greater Heisman Trophy candidate at this moment than Spencer Rattler. It's just, it's over. That 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 part of the Spencer Rattler saga is over right now. It's done with. He will not win the Heisman Trophy. I don't think it's possible for him to win the Heisman Trophy because he's he would have to again beat out Caleb Williams in this quarterback competition. Then he would have to somehow change everything that's happened from the first half of the season to be an indecisive and in conservative with his passes to suddenly being this commanding offensive firepower quarterback that we all thought he was going to be back in the first week in September. He, I mean, Spencer, everything would have to change about Spencer Rattler. And I, I just don't see it happening. I, I don't, I don't see, first of all, I don't see him surviving as Oklahoma's starter at this point. And so I, I think that, that right itself in itself is that there, it's just the killer for, for the Heisman trophy. Um, I, but even if he was to survive and retain his spot as QB one for the Sooners, there's so much about his game right now that's not translating to Heisman type material. Passing yards aren't there. Yards per completion aren't there. Touchdown to turnover ratio not there. None of that's there. That just speaks. Hey, this is a Heisman Trophy candidate. And you hate to say it. I mean, I hate to say it because. I can't stand Texas, but you look in the Big 12 and you're looking for a Heisman Trophy candidate. It's it. It's in Austin, Texas. That's that's the candidate for the Big 12, B. John Robinson. And so it, it, this this is a a moot point now for Spencer Rattler. Moving forward, Heisman that was his that was his moment, and you know, people say he you know he he wet the bed so to speak, pooped the bed, and it just it, it didn't happen for him. And and now he's got bigger things he's got to deal with than the Heisman Trophy. This week he's got to deal with: Is there any coach? Is there any way I'm getting my starting job back? That that's that's the first and foremost on Spencer Rattler's mind. Heisman Trophy is not there. It's can I get my starting job back? And and if the answer to to the question is no, then the second thing that Spencer Rattler has to deal with is well, where am I going to play football next? Hey, you look at SMU and what they did to Tanner Mordecai. May, maybe. You know, maybe you step down out of out of Power Five, and you go to a program like SMU, like you know Memphis, you know Cincinnati. Maybe you step outside of that, and you go and re- you resurrect your career somewhere else. But as far as 2021 goes, 
there's no there's no Heisman hopeful right now for I mean it, for for Oklahoma in, in terms of the person for for 2021. Certainly not Spencer Rattler, and I just don't see it on the team right now. I, I think there's 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 potential there for the future, particularly in Caleb Williams. But right now, I mean, it's over. I mean, it's it's just. Tell me I'm wrong. T- tell me how I'm wrong. Don't just tell me I'm wrong because we're all, you know, this is the Sooner Nation podcast and we're all Oklahoma fans and we bleed crimson, right? Don't don't tell me that stuff. Tell me how I'm wrong because I don't think you can. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, all right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up because I haven't really, we talked a lot about offense. We didn't talk a lot defensively in the true or false, but we're going to, I think for the time's sake, we'll just let Richard's true or false questions kind of be our offensive recap because we talked about so much there. But I, I, I do need to mention a few things offensively. 662 total yards of offense against the Texas Longhorns, which incredibly, uh, 339 of that came on the ground. It just, I mean, this was the offensive revival that you've been looking for if you're an Oklahoma football fan. And it's all in part, you know, it's all brought to you by Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, 16 to 25, 212 yards, 8.5 yards per pass attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Spencer Rattler, 8 of 15, 111 yards, 7.4 yards per pass attempt. He had the interception. He also had a fumble. Um, you you got to break this down. A deep, big uh, offensive player of the game. And I mean, the obvious choice here, you, you want to go with Caleb Williams because he changed so much about this game. But I don't think I don't think Caleb Williams is actually the offensive MVP. Um, you know, you throw another name out there that we talked about. Marvin Mims, five catches, 136 yards. Marvin Mims averaged 27.2 yards per reception in this game. And by the way, those touchdowns, he had two touchdowns in the, in, in the game. Those were his first two touchdown catches of the season, which is incredible to say about him uh, when, you, when you think about what a spectacular receiver and what a threat he is uh, from that position. But he led the team in receptions, led the team in receiving yards, and clearly that led the team in touchdown passes because he's the only one who caught one and another one. Three rushing, excuse me, four rushing touchdowns in this game. Caleb Williams had four four carries for 88 yards, was the second leading rusher on the team. Eric Gray was decent. He only got six carries uh, on the on the day, 6.2 yards per carry. And then credit Texas because Eric Gray, he's dangerous because of the multifacet options that he gives you in the running game and passing game, two catches, 19 yards, nine and a half yards per catch. And there was one, one particular catch where he had the opportunity to really make something big happen and just got brought down just by, you know, by, by a shoestring tackle, so to speak. And I realize that's twice I've used the shoestring analogy in this podcast, but you get the point. All that said, all that said, I think your MVP in this game is Kennedy Brooks. We've said this about Kennedy Brooks. There's just something, it's just a smoothness 
in the way he runs the ball. We said going into this game that Oklahoma would need to run the ball to beat Texas. And it's and when you think about the fact that within the first 15 minutes of this game, Oklahoma is down 28 to 7 and even at that, Kennedy Brooks carries the ball 25 times. 217 yards, 8.7 yards per carry and then the two touchdowns he had, which something that we probably don't talk about enough the play that Lincoln Riley put in the package this week that allowed Kennedy Brooks to score both touchdowns, exact same play. They haven't shown that they haven't, they haven't cheated towards that. They haven't done any, there's no notion of that play direct snap to Kennedy Brooks, fake a pitch to Caleb Williams. And because of the trick plays that Oklahoma runs, you got to honor that pitch to Caleb Williams. And by, by honoring that, that means the defensive end has to stay home. The defensive back has to stay on his receiver because how many times have we seen Lincoln Riley? They did it earlier with Spencer Rattler to Marvin Mims. How many times have we seen Lincoln Riley do kind of a throwback type play? And because of that, it affects the entire play. That the de- the defensive end can't crash on the side that Caleb Williams is, and which is opposite to where the play is going. But it freezes everything on that side, so there's no flow. So this this play is running to the left side of the line. There's no flow from from your right. If you're an offensive player, there's no flow from your right to your left. And even at that, look at the Drake Stoops block because the defensive back has to honor that. He has to honor Drake Stoops coming out. And so he can't let Drake Stoops behind him. So that defensive back is so far back that Kennedy Brooks just has to, everyone on the left side, it's man on man. You do your job and Kennedy Brooks has a lane. And that happened not once, but twice. And just genius play calling by Lincoln Riley. But Kennedy Brooks, definitely, in my opinion, offensive player of the game, 25 carries, 217 yards. Uh, He was the cog in the wheel that made everything work for him. Now, defensively, I think it gets a little more difficult to to pick a defensive player of the game. And, And I know I've already seen, I've been on social media, a lot of criticism about the defense. Yes, 38 first half points. But let's 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 go through the quarter by quarter scoring breakdown of this game. First quarter, 28 points for Texas. All right, follow me here. First quarter, 28 points for Texas. Second quarter, 10 points for Texas. Third quarter, three points for Texas. Fourth quarter, seven points for Texas. So Oklahoma's defense gives up 28 points in the first quarter. And then they give up 20 points total through the final three quarters of the game. By the way, Oklahoma outscored Texas 35 to 10 in the second half. And the only quarter that Texas beat Oklahoma on the scoreboard was the first quarter. Oklahoma won the second quarter 13 to 10. They won the third quarter 10 to 3. And then they won the fourth quarter 25 to 7. So there's there there. I'm not saying the defense is above criticism, but let me tell you what happened to help this defense in the second half. It's not going to be rocket science, but Oklahoma stopped turning the ball over. When you stop turning the ball over, a few things happen. Number one, you get to retain the momentum that you have. That's the first thing that happens. Number two, your defense gets some time to rest. And and it's not just that they're resting, but they're adjusting. Football, you know, you've heard about the X's and O's of football, right? Well, that, that X's and O's happens when you're on the bench. So when the offense is on the field, 
the X's and O's defensive adjustments are happening in real time while that team's over there on the bench. Your defensive line is with their coach. Your linebackers are with their coach. And your defensive backs are with their coach. And it's all flowing downhill from Alex Grinch. He's like, hey, we're going to fix this. We're going to change this. We're going to do that. All that takes place on the sideline. And when your defense can't get to the sideline because Spencer Rowler throws an interception or your defense can't get to the sideline because a punt is blocked or your defense can't get to the sideline because Spencer Rattler fumbles. You see what I'm saying? All of that just, it, 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 it helps the other team in the area that they're having momentum, but also it helps the other team in the areas in which you got no plan, you know, time to change your game plans. You got no time to adjust. In Oklahoma, finally in the second quarter, they get those, that time to adjust. And then you go into that, the locker room at halftime at, and if you're going to be critical about the way this defense played in the first half, I'm not going to stop you, but you at least have to admit. I mean, Rich said it in his true or false question. They held B. John Robinson to just a 35 yards in the second half. And so what they decided to do, they were, they were just going to take advantage up front and leave guys on the back end, you know, exposed. And, and that's a pretty gutsy move if you think about it, because you got DTL who who couldn't play. He tried, but he couldn't do it. You got Jaden Davis having the worst. I, I feel so bad for Jaden Davis because I remember when he was a freshman and I'm talking about how much I was impressed with Javen, Jaden Davis. And as a freshman, he was the most fundamentally sound cornerback Oklahoma had. But man, he's definitely been passed up. But Jaden Davis out there riding the struggle bus. Justin Broyles trying his best. He had some good plays and they had some bad plays. Billy Bowman looking like a freshman at times, but also flashing his high, high ceiling at times. And so basically he said to these guys, you know what we're going to do? We're going to leave you on islands. Don't lose your man. And we're just going to make everything up front miserable for Casey Thompson and B. John Robinson. And that's what they did. And it changed this game. But don't, again, don't overlook the fact that these turnovers stopping, the impact it had. It's a, it sucks momentum off that burnt orange sideline over to your side because you're getting those defensive stops and then your offense is actually doing something when you get the defensive stops. So keep that in mind when you're talking about the 516 yards that Oklahoma's defense gave up the 388 passing yards that Oklahoma's defense gave up. Oklahoma, if you've listened to this podcast, you know this. Oklahoma's defense all season long has been, we're going to stop the run. We're going to stop the run, and you're going to have to beat us by going vertical. And, yeah, you can say, well, Texas almost did it. You know what? (laughs) So did West Virginia. So did Nebraska. So did Kansas State. They almost did, but they didn't. Here's the biggest factor when you look when you break down the stats. Do you realize that Oklahoma only gave up 19 first downs to the Texas Longhorns? That's not the biggest factor. I just want to know if you're aware of that. Here's the the, the late downs. Remember, Oklahoma couldn't get off the field against Kansas State. They just couldn't seem to make it happen. But against Texas, Oklahoma's defense, Texas was 4 of 12 against Oklahoma's defense on third down. 4 of 12 against Oklahoma's defense on third down. 0 for 1 on first down. 4 of 12, 0 for 1. It's a big improvement from the year before. And the fact that they held the entire Texas offense to 128 yards rushing, that's pretty good because that means there's negative plays. Just doing some quick math here, right? Because Bijan Robinson had 137 rushing yards, but as a team, 
the Texas Longhorns had 128. That means there's a lot of negative plays in there that are hitting that rushing average. So defensively, I mean, there it, it was a mixed bag. There, there's good and bad out there. And I, I you, when you think about who are you going to, like, who are you going to say, this was the defensive player of the game? I'm, I'm going to throw something out there for you just to consider, and then you can hit me up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. You can drop a comment, heartland-sports.com. Tell me if I'm crazy. There's some candidates out there, okay? Isaiah Thomas, two tackles for loss, ended up with uh, four total tackles for the game. Brian Osamoa, Brian Osamoa, he played with some nasty to him. He played with some attitude. Uh, he had seven tackles, led the team. He had a quarterback hurry. Nick Bonito, five tackles, but he had one and a half sacks. So there, there's guys out there. Danny Stutzman, Danny Stutzman just comes in, still overcoming injury, three tackles, it has the, the big sack on, on Casey Thompson. I think he, share, he ended up sharing that sack um, with, I can't remember who it was, but I, I don't think, I think he shared that sack with Nick Benito, actually. I, I, so there, there's candidates out there. But let me, let me throw this option out here to you. The biggest defensive play in this game, in my opinion, was Caleb Kelly stripping the ball away from Xavier Worthy on the kickoff return. At that point, at that point, I really feel it became evident to everybody Texas was in significant trouble. They were already in trouble. Everybody in the stadium knew they were in trouble. Everyone watching on TV knew they were in trouble. But when Caleb Kelly comes up with that strip on the kickoff return, everybody knew at that moment. Because even if Texas scores, oh, you takes the lead on that on that ensuing possession with just one play. But you know, even if Texas scores, they've not stopped Oklahoma in the second half. And you, you've got the best kicker in the country on your sideline if you're the Sooners. So that was such a big momentum swing that even if Texas scores, they know they're in trouble. They had Texas had to score and give them credit. Give Casey Thompson credit. Give Xavier Worthy credit for coming back and getting that big touchdown catch afterwards. But at that point, if you're Texas, you got to score and you get then you got to get a stop. And that was that was almost an insurmountable moment for Texas, and it was all caused because of Caleb Kelly. And special teams is technically a part of defense. So how about we say Caleb Kelly, defensive player of the game? Is that is that uh, is that going too far? Because that's absolutely where I'm standing right now in this moment, and I think I've got a pretty good argument for it. What do you think? Well, that's going to bring us to the. End of the podcast, the final segment, talking about the Big 12 rundown, and it's so short because there was only three three games, and we spent 40-ish minutes breaking down Oklahoma, Texas, um, Baylor, West Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech. I, I got, I mean, I was, I've got a little bit of shock and awe about the TCU, Texas Tech final. I mean, Baylor, West Virginia went exactly the way we thought. If you, if you listen to the podcast, I told you, I said, man, hammer down on Baylor and those points and definitely hammer down on the over on this game. And, and that's exactly what happened. 65 total points. Baylor wins 45 to 20 over the Mountaineers. And uh, man, if you're, if you're Neil Brown again, that, that man, dude is on the hot seat for sure. And Matt Wells was probably appreciative of that because Texas tech at home in a blackout homecoming, by the way, 52 to 31 loss to TCU who had just lost the week before and 
And I'm just, I'm so, I just, I just don't know. I mean, this game, I definitely didn't have it figured out. I thought it would be close. I really did. It, it was a must win for, for both teams. For Gary Patterson, you know, you're one and one in conference play. You're coming to Norman next week. You're still very much in the conversation at one and one of making it to Dallas. But now you're Matt Wells at Texas Tech and you're one and two, four and two overall, one and two in the Big 12. And you're seeing that conference title aspiration just dwindle down and dwindle down. Because you still got Texas on your schedule. You you still got West Virginia on your it's not not West Virginia, sorry. You you still got Iowa State on your schedule. I mean you just you you've got Oklahoma on your schedule. Here here's what Texas here's what Texas Tech has left. They've got Kansas and everybody's like, Yay, thank you, Kansas. So they've they've got Kansas, then they're Kansas State, and then they're coming to Oklahoma at the end of this month, um, October thirtieth. Then it's Iowa State and it's Oklahoma State, and then they're at Baylor to close out the regular season. They've got to get two wins. Matt Wells needs two more wins to to have any hope of job security. He's got to have two more wins. And for Gary Patterson, there there was beginning to see mounting frustration with Gary Patterson and in Fort Worth, particularly over how he uses Zach Evans by not giving him the number of touches that the fan base kind of seems like, uh, well, we, we deserve it. And 17 carries, which I think was two more than what he had had the previous two weeks. He had, the previous two weeks leading into this game, he had 15 carries in each of those games. But look at this, 17. We're, we're talking about B. John Robinson. And B. John Robinson is, is great. Zach Evans had 17 carries and it averaged 8.4 yards a carry. But the Keandre Miller kid averaged 15.4 yards per carry and scored three touchdowns. 12 carries, 185 yards. That's the running attack that's coming to Norman next weekend as the Sooners prepare to host the 3-2 and two t- TCU Horn Frogs. So uh, we're going to have to start shifting our momentum now towards that game. and. And that's what we're going to do. You can find us every day on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. would love to hear from you. Uh, let us know where you agree or disagree on true or false or anything else we've said. you got ideas, topics for the podcast. We'd love to hear from them. Uh, have a fantastic week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.